0: 2 Kings chapter 6. As we read through the story, as I tell the story, uh, there's an emphasis on eyesight and on prayer. Those are the two big features of the story. Uh, But the real basic and profound message almost sounds cliche Uh, Our God is greater than anything we face. We know that from the story of David and Goliath. We know that even from the very first page. God said, there was nothing there. God said, let there be, and poof, there it was. So there's power in this God that we get to serve. But things look different when the David is you and the Goliath is a bully at school. Or David is you and the bully is, or, or the Goliath is the pressure from financial stress in your life. Or when the David is you and the medical diagnosis is Goliath. Then it looks a little different and feels a little different. But these stories are all teaching the same truths and they're all valid still today concerning the God that we are here to serve tonight. The names and circumstances have changed, and even the end result may not be as dramatic and as instant as some of those Bible stories, but it's true. So this king of Syria, unnamed, because quite honestly, he's not important He was making war on Israel, and he planned to set up ambushes in these different places. And every time he did, Israel took a detour and didn't show up, which frustrated the king, convinced him there was a spy, and he asked all his generals when he got them together, who's the spy? And someone comes up, they don't need a spy. It's not about a spy. They've got something better. They have a man who is named Elisha. They've got Elisha. And whatever it is you're plotting and the secrecy of your mind, he knows he knows. And so this unnamed king does what's logical find out where he is and let's go surround him. One of the funniest moments in scripture, because it's like, do you not know he knows you're coming, right? The next morning, Elisha's servant gets up, and I like the reading. He did a good job of the reading, but I don't think the servant came out and said, alas, my master, what shall we do? I think he said, alas, my master, what are we going to do? I think that's kind of like what he said, right? Terrified, they're outnumbered by the enemy on the other side. What are we going to do? He lost his ever-loving mind. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. (laughs) He was calm and he was firm. But he was nuts, right? It's obviously not true. Patently ludicrous. Look out there. It doesn't take much. You're outnumbered. You are overpowered. This is like Donald Trump saying, how many came to my inauguration? I'd say eight billion people there. Which is... 10,000 million times worse than a preacher's count. Yeah, I'm saying Elisha's kind of like Donald Trump this way, except Elisha is flat on the spot, right? And you don't calm somebody down, I don't guess. Elisha just saying, you know, don't worry about it. We outnumber them. Didn't seem to help the servant very much. And so Elisha says this prayer. God, open his eyes that he may see. And the servant gets this glimpse of the spiritual realities that are actually around God's people all the time. It's just that we don't see them in the air around us. And he sees God's army in huge numbers actually overpowering and outnumbering the enemy. I mean, it's Amazing sight. It was true. The Syrians begin their attack. They come down the hill. They come looking for Elisha. Elisha prays again. Every time Elisha prays, something happens. God make them blind, and so suddenly they can't see anything, and they come down to Elisha and say, we're looking for Elisha, and Elisha says, well, I'll take you to him, and he walks them that 10, 12 miles to Syria, to the capital city, and he brings them all into their city and closes the gate and locks the door. And he prays one more time, God, open their eyes, they can see. And again, they can see, and they realize they are in deep trouble. And the unnamed king of Israel, because quite frankly, he wasn't important either, the unnamed king of Israel says, what are we supposed to do? Should we kill them? No, 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 you feed them. That's what you do with your enemies, you feed them. And they fed them, and they didn't attack them anymore. It's crazy, isn't it? There's lots of cool stuff in this story, it's always been part of my imagination, but what I want us to see tonight is, can you learn to see that God is greater than anything that you face, even when you can't see it? Can you learn to see it even when there isn't somebody that God opened his eyes and God open your eyes? Can you learn to do that? And can you learn to actually act on that truth, even though you don't see it? One hundred years later, I was going to put a little SpongeBob SquarePants thing. One hundred years later, right? But, but there's not any SpongeBob people here, so. Second Chronicles, hundred years later. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself, he has blazed a trail all the way through Palestine, all the way through all the nations between them, and now he's facing Judah. Now he's surrounding Jerusalem. Now he's camped outside the walls. Looks like this, as someone has portrayed it. It is obvious that Sennacherib has superior power, has greater evil and wickedness and torture techniques, He's torn up every city on the way there, and no one sees any kind of hope that Jerusalem can hold out for 15 minutes. Hezekiah's father was in the same predicament a few years before this, and Isaiah was the prophet then, and Isaiah is the prophet for Hezekiah too, and Isaiah kept saying to his father, please trust God. And in fact, God wants you to ask for a miraculous sign, and he's going he's gonna to do whatever you ask him to do. You just set it up. You ask for the most ridiculous thing that you can ask for, for God to prove himself to you, and then you'll know that he's going to protect you. But he wouldn't ask for it. He refused to. And he paid off a foreign nation, which ended up being worse than... If he just fought himself and it messed everything up. But now Hezekiah, Hezekiah is now in the same exact spot as his father. He's got the same prophet, and the same prophet is saying to him, Please trust God. God wants you to trust him, God wants you to believe in him. Just throw yourself on God and let him handle this. And Hezekiah does. That same chapter right after Sennacherib has surrounded the city and he's there pounding on it and he's sent them letters and all that stuff. As he set the combat commanders over the people and gathered them together in the square within the city, right? And spoke encouragingly to them. Be strong, be courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed. This sounds a lot like words from Joshua, doesn't it? You might know Joshua nine? It's like he's taken some words from... Joshua, before the king of Assyria and the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with them. What? He's doing as Donald Trump. Where did he get those words? This sounds like Elisha. He's pulling in their history. He's pulling in quotes from the history. This is why you need to know History. He's pulling his Joshua, and he's pulling his Elisha. With him is an army of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. They actually, as they looked upon this vast array of army right outside their city gates, when they should be shaken in their boots, they felt confidence to overcome them. Crazy, isn't it? You remember what happened? It's another one of the greatest stories. Overnight, the angel of the Lord came through and slaughtered so many of the enemy, they woke up. Half, their, enemy was, half of their army was dead right there. They got up, they packed up, and they went back home. The old King James says they woke up dead. Now figure out how they did that exactly. Because the one who's in with us is greater than the one who's in the world, Right? with them. He was using words through the eyes of faith. I don't know that Hezekiah saw the army of the Lord like uh, Elisha's servant did, but you might be tempted, though, like me. Well, that's the Bible times, right? That's the Bible times, all those great stories that we can tell in BBS. It's not for us today. Uh, This David and Goliath stuff, it's all back there, too. It sounds like maybe those things didn't make the cut for the new covenant, right? But then you go to 1 John chapter 4, And John tells us, several centuries later, that there's a lot of spirits in the world. Some of them are destructive and out for your harm. And they're out there in the world in abundance. Seeking harm and destruction, but there's also the prophets, or servants, I mean, and the spirits of God that are there to give you aid. And they're all out there. And he says, I want you to test them. Don't believe every spirit. Every, every spirit, and the spirit comes through ideas and philosophies and principles and words. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God or not. Every believer needs to do this because, y'all, there's some, because the, even... Even the devil dresses an angel of light, right? Even the devil looks angelic sometimes. Many false prophets. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and is now already in the world. Little children, you are from God. You've overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he's in the world. It's still true for us. It's not an expired Old Testament thing. And it's even greater because our God, who's greater than all that, isn't just with us, but as New Covenant people, He's in us. Y'all, that is a little few degrees better, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say it's just a tad bit like superior? That's why the New Covenant... Is superior to the old. The one who is in us is greater than the one in the world. And do you have you seen the world lately? Have you seen how overwhelmingly powerful the world is? And have you ever felt small? Do our kids feel small when they try to take their little Christian lives into the huge public schools and feel like, I'll not make a dent here. I know, I get that. And you go into your workplace, you think, I'm not going to make a dent here. And this world we're living in and all the stuff it's spewing out, we won't make a dent here. We don't make a dent here. Our God does. And the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. But do you see it? Doesn't feel like it sometimes, does it? Paul writing to the Ephesians, I cannot not go here. See, I was waiting for a response, but all I heard was crickets. I have to go one more place. The Ephesians were so overwhelmed with fear about the spiritual forces around them, and in this letter, Paul writes to them, he talks about the principalities and powers and the evil spirits of the air that are all around us, the evil that we used to be part of, that we used to participate in. And you remember, this is where we have the the armor of God, and we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual, spiritual principalities and powers and things, all that stuff. We don't think about it much, but the Ephesians were terrified because it was in the air around them. The Colossians were too. And, and to the Ephesians, though, they were thinking, oh, we're going out into a world where all these evil spirits, how do we possibly have a chance to live any bit with confidence in our faith when we're surrounded by all that stuff? Well, Paul says, okay, let me help you. I'm not going to cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. I want God to open your eyes, the eyes of your heart, the ones that actually see. And what you see with your heart is how you'll act. I want those eyes open. I want you to see what you have. And what exactly does he want them to see? Three things. The hope to which he's called you. That hope, that inheritance, that that end game. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I want you to know what you have in the church. I want you to know what strength you have in the church. I want you to know why you need to gather on that hill every week. I want you to know why Bill Harris is so important to you and all the others. The strength that's in this room is overwhelming. But you can't see it with your physical eyes because you all look pretty normal. But you are spiritual warriors with power from God and you live in the heavenly realms. And we can wreak havoc on the spiritual realm from within this room. And there's one more thing. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us and us who believe He has empowered you from within with a power that's greater than in the world. I don't see this with my physical eyes, but but I can pray with spiritual sight that I can get this. It would help me and us, it would help us to live with greater confidence, hope and joy and peace and victory. I think we act sometimes kind of puny when we shouldn't and we wouldn't if our eyes were seeing clearly. What would happen if we really lived this way? I thought about this. What if we could see that God, who's greater than anything else, is living inside of us? One, it would bring us great calm in challenging situations because we will be faced with all sorts of them. That's what it did for Elisha. To be able to have such peace and calm when everybody else was losing their minds. Now, did you notice, and I think this is true in that story, Elisha comes across as annoying. You know those people when they're all anxious and they're all fretful and they run up to you, Oh and you're calm. It's almost annoying. It's like, do you not know? Are you hiding your head in the sand? Do you not know what's going on? And it's like, I, I know, I just... I just happen to know that the one who's in me is greater than the one who's in the world. And I can just kind of breathe easy. Doesn't mean that it doesn't matter what you do or you don't have to respond in any way, but boy, I tell you, that kind of calm is a witness to the world. But there's a second thing that we have to be, that's realistic is it may not actually change anything about those situations. Yeah, okay, David and Goliath, turns out great. Elisha's story turns out great. It won't change the fact that you're going to struggle financially, that you'll have to go through the chemo treatments, or that you will have to suffer through depression for a season, or care for loved ones with memory issues. It doesn't mean immunity or escape or an exception clause. Well, then what value is it? and that leads to the third one. It allows you to know that James 1 is true. You can handle all of those situations with a sense of joy. Now, how does that make sense? If our God is greater than all these challenges, but He's choosing not to rescue, what does that mean? It means that He's aware And his purpose is accomplished more by allowing it than removing it. And so the hand that is allowing that to continue is your father's hand. And daddy's hands aren't always soft and gentle. But there's always love in daddy's hands. Peter would say it something like this. He will rescue you in due time and give you grace to handle the mean time. And you know that because the one in you is greater than the one who's in the world. It's true our God is greater than the blank. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. And by the way, journal while you do this because the blank is going to change. That thing that's all-consuming to you right now, where is God in all of it? That thing that's all-consuming will be gone in a little bit and be replaced by something else. And that will be gone and replaced by something else. And as you journal, you start looking back and you think, this is the all-important thing in my life. No, it isn't. It isn't. You're going to think so because it's right now. But there's going to be something else. But whatever you fill in the blank with, God's greater than it. Absolutely, totally, undeniably, that's true for every believer. And if we could just act like it. So I feel this sense of, uh, man, I I feel overwhelmed by the thought of what Shirley is facing right now. She's living in this house without her husband of 500 years or whatever they were married, right? 70. But you sit and let her talk about your life and she and Gary went through amazing challenges during their life. And they changed over time. In their 20s it was this. In their 30s it was this. In their 40s it was this. And all that stuff prepares you and trains you to be able to see God differently so that where she is now, she knows better than to ever question whether God is greater than this. And she's a witness in our midst. Could say that of anybody in here. If we can learn to see this, if we can learn that this truth from 2 Kings 6 that reappears then 100 years later and reappears several centuries later and is still true every day of your life. If you can learn learn to see it without seeing it, it'll make your life more faithful. This is the Sunday night crowd. You know these truths, and if you're in the middle of one of those where you have a ready answer for what's in that blank, you're going to look at me like I'm crazy, maybe. But I'm telling you the truth, even if you don't like hearing it. Our God is greater than whatever's in that blank. Is anyone who needs to respond tonight? We stand ready to receive you as we stand and sing together.